0: Well, brothers and sisters, good evening. It's great to be able to open God's word with you again. And I hope that you've been blessed throughout this series. This evening we come to our final sermon, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to focus on self-control. Since we read it out, I'll not get you to repeat it for me. That would be, that'd be cheating, wouldn't it? So we're looking at self-control. And the big an example of this, I've hidden chocolate under all of your chairs. that I want you to look at, but not eat to the end of the sermon just want to see who actually checked for that one as well. That's what often people think about though, isn't it, when we talk about self-control. We want more self-control to, to stick to the diet, to, to stop procrastinating, to, to reach our goals. And it's tempting to think that if self-control is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, then maybe our resolutions will last a little longer this year. We're gonna look this evening at what Paul means by self-control in this context, and why it is listed as part of the fruit of the Spirit. And then we're gonna think about how that helps us become more like Jesus. But before we look at the the individual verses, just note in your Bible the, the overarching points that we've got here. We have in verses 13 to 15, Paul telling them not to indulge the flesh. Then in 16 to 18, that they should walk by the Spirit. And then in 19 to 21 we get a description of what walking according to the flesh looks like and then finally in 22 to 26 we get what walking according to the Spirit looks like. So the overview is you were called to be free, then we've got the flesh versus the Spirit and then two descriptions of the two different sides. And if we zoom in for a minute on those two lists you will see that in the vice list, We have the flesh being bent towards different kinds of things. If you're reading in the Pew Bible, the the NIV, they've divided up the the section there using semicolons so you can see that there's different groupings. If you look at the first grouping there, that refers to the sexual sins. And then the next grouping, that's idolatry and witchcraft. That refers to a failure to to worship God and and honor Him, sort of like grasping for power where where they shouldn't be going. And then we get a group of, of social sins, that's the hatred, discord, jealousy, and keep going. And finally, we have the last section, drunkenness and orgies. And then also we got and the like. And the word there for orgies could be translated differently, um, but the sense of that last group is probably talking about this, this general lifestyle that is unconstrained by moral norms. And as I said, the and the like just means that the list isn't exhaustive. Living according to the flesh could have other implications for us as well. And what the virtue list, the list of the fruit of the spirit that we've been looking at in this series, what it does is to set the way of the spirit against those kind of things. And throughout the series we've been seeing how God produces in us a character that simply makes living according to those lines of the vice impossible. But a really encouraging thing, for me at least, is that the virtue list ends with self-control. And the reason that I find that so encouraging is that we could be tempted to look at the fruit of the Spirit and, and conclude that someone who has the fruit must just never struggle with sin. And then we look at our own lives and just think, I must not have very much fruit. The Spirit must not be producing very much in me. But with self-control here, the implication is, the thing we should focus on here is that there is something that we need to control, that there is something warring against us, actively fighting against us, living in step with a Spirit that we need to address. So think about this. If, if for some reason I was sending you on a surprise holiday and I had said, I'll pack your bags, everything that you're gonna need, I'll pack for you. And then you saw me packing a machete you might have some questions about where I was sending you. It's the same here. Self-control is included in this list because we are going to need it. To walk in step with the Spirit, we are going to need to battle against the flesh, which should really encourage anyone who recognizes that there is still a battle going on in their lives knowing that the simple presence of those desires, the reality of temptations and impulses that we don't want, doesn't affect our salvation. And that should be an encouragement to us all. Sanctification is a a continuous process. And so seeing self-control on this list reminds us that we aren't going to win the war in just one battle. And though we are declared as if we were righteous, we still sin, we still fall short, we still need help in following Christ. So what we have with self-control is a weapon against the flesh, against our fallen state. It's a term used to to mean a spirit-given restraint, the restraint of one's emotions or impulses or desires. In other words, it's the ability to restrain the flesh from tilting us towards that vice list. So think of our overview again, called to be free, flesh versus spirit, and then two descriptions of those two sides. And the final virtue that we get is something that we we will need so that we don't fall into the vices. So we're gonna look at tonight is how self-control as part of the fruit of the spirit relates to those vices. And then we're gonna think about what that means for us to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So let's get into the text as we work through that first list. Look with me now to verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So we aren't talking about wisdom issues here or or borderline cases. There's Christian freedom to decide how much you spend on yourself, what you wear, what you watch on TV, and even though some of us are gonna fall differently to those things, there's a freedom there to do that. But the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. We should all agree on this list. So even if some parts of the church have been blinded and fooled by our culture, scripture presents a clear teaching on Christian sexual ethics. And it doesn't align with the image that is presented in this first grouping. Those three words at the start have a a semantic overlap, meaning that they're used interchangeably at times. But the sense that Paul is getting at it in combining them is a throwing off of all restraint and unthinkingly giving yourself to whatever sexual impulses or desires that you have. No moderation, no control, no moral considerations, just driven by personal urges and cravings. So whether that's adultery, rape, or some other sexual sin, the flesh, this term that Paul uses here, tries to get us to to throw off restraint and to act from unfiltered passions. But self-control, the spirit-given restraint that we're thinking about has the opposite effect. Rather than opening the floodgates and being carried away by our passions, the spirit allows us to assess those desires and impulses and have control over them rather than letting them control us. Instead of having to define ourselves by those urges, we can transcend them and bring them into line with our deeper desires. And if you look there, it's the same with that next group, idolatry and witchcraft. The idea here basically boils down to trying to control God or to gain control over things that we aren't supposed to have control over by making gods that we can control, either out of wood or even our own ambition, we get rid of our need for God. By gaining power through supernatural practices, we come, become powerful enough so that we don't need Him. And all that stems from a desire or an urge for power, for control. So when the flesh pushes us to, to gain power, Self-control restrains that urge, which allows us to put our trust in God. So rather than struggle for our place, we can then receive God's good gifts. If we think about the next grouping, social sins, we can see that they are essentially ways in which we destroy unity by lifting ourselves up and imply that we are better than others. We talked a little bit, little bit about that last week as well. And when we start from that position, when we are primed to react in a certain way, certain circumstances are just gonna bring up those desires, urges and impulses to hate people, or to be jealous, or to cause dissensions. Self-control divorces the the felt experience from the way that we respond. It's like a, a holy circuit breaker that restrains us and stops us lashing out when we feel ourselves getting hurt. Maybe you've heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people. We get hurt and so we lash out and we hurt others. But the spirit working self-control into us means that when we are hurt, we can process it in a way that allows us to respond with grace. Again, it doesn't mean that we won't be hurt, but it just gives us the opportunity to stop that cycle of pain. We can become peacemakers instead of having fits of rage. We can sow grace instead of discord. And in that final grouping, we see how the flesh directs us to, directs to excess and drawing our sense of good from personal or material pleasure. But self-control in the same scenarios stops us from going down that route. It stops us from being blinded by the lights of this world and instead allows us the space to think and to see the glory of God. It's like flicking off a, a switch to turn off all the lights in the city and that's gonna reveal the stars in the night sky. So in regard to sexual practice, self-control restrains strange urges and desires so that we can live according to God's purpose for us as sexual beings. In regards to our desires for power and control, self-control restrains the impulse to grasp for power and instead allows us to enjoy God's good gifts. In regard to social sin, self-control allows us to live a life of grace and not of strife. And in regard to an unconstrained life, self-control allows us to ignore the distractions of this world so that we can see God's good plan for us. Left unchecked, The flesh draws our focus. It pushes our gaze downwards. And so we don't see the danger on the path ahead. We don't recognize the ways that sin entangles us and binds us and leads us further and further from the light. But the spirit enabled restraint to not be distracted by the flesh, to see where that path leads, allows us the space to follow the other way with these two lists, these two ways of living by the, by the flesh or by the spirit, we can see a fork in the road. And left our own devices, we take one path, the well-trodden, downhill, gentle-looking path with the wind at our backs. But self-control is like having a map and being able to see that that path leads to a really dark valley. And even though the other path might appear uphill and more difficult and less traveled it actually leads to the celestial city to the place where we want to go self-control as part of the fruit of the spirit allows us to ignore our weary muscles ignore the advice of other travel travelers and to walk as we know that we should and so really this self-control Way that Paul's using it allows us to, to clear away the distractions so we can take joy in God's will and let his desires become our desires. Do you know a wise person this week reminded me that in the middle of trials, we should remember that God gives us what we would ask him for if we knew what he knows. Self-control is the ability to trust in God's judgment and restrain those passions that he tells us to restrain. So that what we see will come to be what he sees. It's not about conforming to a standard, but about gaining perspective to love that standard. Because just having self-control to restrain certain passions, that's not the point here. We aren't living under the law. This is not a new set of commandments. The point of the spirit producing in our self-control is so that we are free to look and see what it is that God is doing. Rather than getting stuck and sucked into the cycle of desire fulfillment, we are able to see the true path of the, to the satisfaction of our souls. So don't think that as this develops in your Christian life, you'll be able to just jump into an ice bath with no problem. Because what the Spirit is doing is producing in us a character that can restrain passions and desires that lead to sinful practices, to give us the space that we can keep in step with the Spirit. Or you could think of it as the Spirit clearing the path so that we can choose life. Last week we talked about how the world tries to to push freedom through expressive individualism, through the idea that you just need to live your best life and speak your truth and then and only then you'll be truly free. But this week we see with this idea of self-control that we are only truly free when we are free from the slavery of sin, from the chains of selfish desire, fallen urges and evil impulses. That true freedom comes from submitting to the one who made us, who completes us, who knows what is good for us. From knowing that our deepest desires are only ever going to be realized when we're doing God's will. True freedom comes not from absolute expressionism, but from a holy self-control. I hope that I've painted a picture of self-control that makes us value it just as much as the other characteristics that we've looked at. But it is at this point that we need to remind ourselves that, that this process of the Spirit working in us is not this instant thing. Maybe at some point in your life, God has healed you of something in that one instant and there's a special outpouring of grace over some aspect of your life. Praise God for that. But that's not the ordinary means that God uses. It's not the pattern that we should expect to see in our lives. Instead, fruit is grown over a period of time. It matures. Sanctification sanctification is progressive, so there will be points when we're gonna feel that we're just not very good at this, that we don't have much self-control. But the Spirit is still working, and that fruit is still growing. So don't despair, but trust in Jesus that he will finish the work that he started in your life. Seeing self-control as the part of the fruit of the Spirit should give us hope that even if we aren't in control now, God will work to bring that about in us, to put sin to death in us, and to move us from one degree of glory to the next. Now that's what self-control does. But, but what does that look like for us practically? Well, let's think about those four areas. A huge problem for Christian men, I'm not talking about people here, but statistically in the church, done lots of studies, a huge problem for Christian men is porn. For so many, it's become an addiction. Self-control in that area for some people might look like getting accountability from a friend. It might look like asking an elder for prayer. It might look like adapting behavior to be free from the practice. But it also might just look like a still, small voice, a quiet desire to be free. Something inside you telling you to stop, to to look away. And if you have that desire to stop, that might be that tiny seed, but that might be what what fruit that God is growing in you. And it might take time to produce the fruit of self-control that you long for, but if you're not there yet, hang on to that seed. Pray that God grows it. He has given it to you because he wants you to be free and to follow him. The simple presence of that desire, however sinful in your life, isn't greater than the Holy Spirit that is at work in you. And what about idolatry and witchcraft that need to to have control over God? Well, self-control is gonna look like restraining those desires for independence and pursuing trust in God. It might mean a refocusing upon being faithful rather than getting results. It might mean taking time off work or or settling for a lower income so that you can have time to pursue His purposes rather than your own. It could be a simple acknowledgement that you aren't God and putting in place a daily reminder of your need for Him. If we keep going, how self-control relates to social sin might seem fairly obvious. Choosing the path of grace rather than the path of strife. Self-control could mean working hard to adopt the opinion that the people aren't out to hurt you, that your church family want the best for you. One of the best pieces of marriage advice I was ever given was to cultivate the assumption that your spouse isn't actively trying to annoy you or to hurt you or to do those things. It's to try and make our first reaction to all other people is not to go on the defensive when they hurt us but to wonder what is happening in their lives that they are acting like that to foster an attitude that refuses to assume the worst from people so the next time that someone hurts you try this just go away and every day that week pray for them let that be the habit that forms you rather than descending into hatred and strife and finally if you're living a life detached from moral norms whatever that looks like if you've bought into that lie of culture that pushes expressive individualism and the truth has become a personal feeling rather than objective and holy fact then self-control might look like a heartfelt a heartfelt consideration of your life and by I mean taking time to reflect and be honest with yourself about what your motivations are It might mean difficult conversation with friends or seeking out wise counsel. But the thing that stops you from going further into that rabbit hole, the restraint on your emotions is the spirit drawing you to himself. It is him clearing distractions so that you can look to God. Self-control could look like holding on to that small desire for good. It might look like taking steps to actively trust in God or deciding how to react before things happen or reflecting on your life more. But whatever it looks like, we have to remember that God is giving us this gift of self-control. He is producing in us the capacity to restrain desires, which is amazing news for us. Because no matter how entangled we are in sin, no matter how addicted, no matter how long we've been following those distractions, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The Spirit is working in us, and even if it is the smallest pinprick of light in the darkness of your life, the dark cannot overcome the light. The road might be long and difficult, the journey might take all your life. You might have ups and downs, times of triumph and times of discouragement. But knowing that this is part of the fruit of the Spirit shows us that it is something that the God who began a work in you is sure to bring to completion. Whether that's now in this life or in glory, the battle that you're in doesn't define you it's not the last chapter of your story it might feel like you're enslaved to it whatever it is but as God works in you through his spirit and his word and his people you will start to see the reality that the flesh has hidden from you you will start to see God transforming you and you know you will know that it is Christ who will ultimately have the victory over the flesh In a minute, I'm going to invite Christoph back up to pray for us and lead us as we respond to all God has said this evening through his word. But as we draw our time together here to a close, I want to challenge you to think about what the Spirit is doing in your lives. Do you know Jesus? Has he called you? Has he given you the Spirit? If not, come to him tonight. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to come into your life. Believe the truth that he has set out in his word. Believe what he has said. Believe his works on the cross. And if you have done that already, if you are here, if you are part of the people of God, know that that spirit is in you. Whatever battle you're going through, whatever it looks like, trust that God is at work. Trust that he is working in you to produce and to cultivate all these fruit, this fruit that we've been talking about in this series. I wanna challenge you to think, what is the spirit doing in your lives? Where do you need to restrain your desires so that you can look to God? What areas do you need to be considering so that you can deepen your relationship with God? How is he working to make you more like Jesus? So think and reflect this week. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to walk in step of the Spirit?